All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! The moment's no
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Guadrelli, and joining me, as always, is the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, how are you doing, man? Doing good, man. It's been a busy week for Canucks stuff, and um, there's a lot that we have to talk about this episode. It's nice to get back podcasting. I know we skipped last week and did the countdown uh, on Saturday. That was a lot of fun. I don't know about you, but did you uh, think of any any of the order maybe should get changed on the countdown? Is there one that you think should be higher or lower? I don't know, man. If I'm being honest, I really liked Brogan Rafferty's monologue. The Bachelor yes. monologue that Brogan <laughs> Rafferty dropped, I really enjoyed that. And I thought maybe that could have been higher, but... I got no problem. I think, you know, I'm in I'm in the studio right now. I think our board is still rigged up with all the moments. I don't think we've switched it back yet. So maybe I'll get that done after we finish recording here. But we're not going to really need any buttons for today, I don't think. I think we got a lot to talk about, if I'm being honest with you. You know, you, you brief, my, brief my memory there on what we haven't talked about yet. And the list is pretty long. Yeah, it's going to be a fun midweek episode. I know sometimes we don't have a lot of news, but since we didn't do a midweek last week, uh, we didn't do a regular show on Saturday. We, we have a lot to wrap up in the past week. This this must be what it's like. Uh, like We haven't been on one show a week for a long time, but I guess this is what it's like. You have a full week of stuff to talk about. Uh, but since we're back at two shows a week, we don't. Uh, sometimes we don't have news. We have to go off the rails a little bit like we did last week on the show. Uh, but I'm excited because, yeah, there's some news. We could break into some stuff and a lot of stuff going on overseas, too. Uh, I know we'll get into that later on in the interview uh later on in the episode but uh you heard me screw up my words there we have an interview on this week as well very fun one yes yes aiden mcdonough is going to be joining us well he's going to be joining you you did the interview for this one i don't mind that i think that's a great way to do it set you up for the interviews and then we'll play them on the show it's perfect i i love it so i don't know that's going to be a great conversation i haven't heard it yet but i'm really excited to hear it when this episode drops i'll be listening myself so I'm very excited. But yeah, Aiden McDonough is going to be joining us on this episode. And I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. So I'll, let's just get into it. I can, mean, I, the first can I quickly, thing... uh, I just want to hype this interview with Aiden McDonough a little bit. This interview was done while he was wearing AirPods and riding a bike. Uh, this is the first <laughs> interview that I've ever conducted where the the interviewee uh, is riding a bike. So that's that was kind of fun. We joked about it, I think, at the start of the interview. Uh, but like Aiden's so much fun to talk to. He, uh, you know, we talked for like 27 minutes, I believe, or something like that. Uh, and then we talked off air. Like he asked a bunch of questions about uh, like Canucks Twitter and like the fan base <laughs> over here and what the Canucks fans are like, because you know, he, he's a Boston kid, right? He's a Massachusetts kid. He doesn't really know what Canucks Twitter is like. And, and we were kind of joking off air after the interview. He's like, He's like, what's up with Vancouver fans and like how they really, really love getting into their prospects? I've never seen that before. And I was just like, yeah, I think after you you don't win a Stanley Cup for 50 years, you start to invest in prospects a little bit more. Uh, so he thought that was kind of funny. And he was saying that he's like, wow, he's been blown away uh, by the reaction from Canucks fans on a guy who was drafted in the seventh round for him. But um, yeah, I think <laughs> I'm expecting a big year from him with Northeastern. He, and you guys will hear it in the interview. It was a lot of fun, man. Like uh, McDonough is one of my favorite guys to, to talk to in this Canucks organization. Organization. He's a really smart guy, uh, really understands the game and knows what he has to do to get to the next level. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to keep our eye out on this year at Northeastern. Reads Canucks Army, too. Good guy. Anybody who's smart reads Canucks Army. Everybody knows that. True. Very true. Well, we've got a few things to get into, so let's just get into it. The first one, I don't know how we haven't talked about this yet. I guess it really has been a while since we've podcasted. The Jake Vertanen deal. What do you think about that one, Chris? Well, uh, yeah, two years, $5.1 million. 
I guess I guess it was a little bit lower than I was expecting. Like it's not it's not a bad deal for the money. I think like it's it's gonna be a guy here in Jake Vertanen who's probably gonna play on the first line with Elias Patterson and JT Miller to start the season as long as he comes into camp uh, relatively in pretty good shape. And I mean, we saw him on the Zoom calls. He looked uh, he looked pretty thin. It was nice to to see him. You know, look like he's working hard over there in Kelowna right now, which is good news. Uh, he's got a new dad in Tyler Myers over there, so <laughs> that's great to see. Um, and yeah, I think at $2.5 million for on a two year deal, you're really just kind of saying like, you know, we're keeping you as an RFA after this. Cause I think he'll be 26 when the contract's up. So he's still an RFA after this. Um, and then from there, you really make a decision on like, is this guy going to have a future as a top six player or not? And right now you're only paying him $2.5 million. So as long as he comes back this year, like there's a huge opportunity for him to be a, not only a top six player, but to play on one of the most productive lines with one of the most productive duos in the NHL. And I know a lot of people aren't very excited to see Jake Vertanen on the top line, but he did have a lot of success when he was skating alongside Elias Patterson and JT Miller. And to me, it helps balance the top six if he's on that line because he you can use Brock Besser with Bo Horvat. So um, I, I like the deal. Like, I, I don't think it's a bad deal at all. It's it's $2.5 million for a guy who's going to, you know, start in the top six and potentially work his way up and down the lineup. But he should be an everyday player for the Vancouver Canucks next year. And that's what's so interesting to me about all this. Because people hear, oh, Jake Vertan in the top six, Jake Vertan on the top line. This sucks. But it's so interesting to me because the entire makeup of the Canucks lineup really depends on how Travis Green wants to play his matchups. You know, we've talked about a lot on this show. Elias Pettersson was in a matchup role for some of the playoffs and toward the end of last season, and he excelled in it. He did well. So do you use him in that matchup role again, where he just overpowers the top line? That's what you're going with. And again, like, if that's what you're doing, you keep the lotto line together. The only problem with that is Jake Vertanen hasn't produced with Bo Horvat. For some reason, they've just been an offensive black hole together, and it's not looked good for them. So, I don't know. Like, I guess my question for you is, like, yeah, we've talked about the contract briefly. It's a good contract to see what you really have in Jake Vertanen. You know, a lot of people are still saying he's right on the cusp. You know, he was going to score 20 goals last year. All this stuff, right? We, we could see an emergence of Jake Vertanen this year. We could see it, whether you believe it or not. It is a possibility because he is on the Vancouver Canucks for another two years. So I guess my question for you, Chris, is like, what do you think about putting a guy like Adam Gaudet on the wing? Because that was something floated out by Daniel Wagner of Pastabulis, and I messaged him right away, and I was like, I was about to write that, you guy. I was so mad. But yeah, that was an idea I had. Like, what about putting Gaudet there? Because Gaudet's not ready to be a third-line center. I think that was clear in the playoffs. They, they couldn't play that third line in game one against Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so... You know, if if you want to give him weaker matchups, you know, he's a guy who really thrives on offense and his power play production is there. So, you know, does he benefit from being the right-handed shot on that first line alongside Elias Pettersson? Because personally, I think he might fit better there than Jake Vertanen does. Um, I think that the reason why Jake Vertanen has success when he plays with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson is because he's able to do the things that he's good at. He's able to do them consistently. Like he's able to skate. He's able to get open ice. And I think that's the big thing that you see that Jake, you know, he, he's obviously fast. Everybody knows Jake Vertanen is very fat. Like mm-hmm. he's probably the fastest player on this team uh, when yep. he's skating down the ice. And I think that when you have him on a line with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson, they take up so much space, whether it's on a breakout or actually even getting in the offensive zone that specifically on a breakout, you're going to get a lot of extra space for Jake Vertanen. And he's not going to really have to make decisions as much when he's playing with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. It's almost like 
It's almost like they're guiding him, like, okay, this is the open, like, all you need to do, Jake, is recognize the open part of the ice that's going to be created from defenders trying to defend against us two, the best duo on this Canucks team. All you need to do is find that open space and use your speed, and you're going to get scoring chances. So I think that that is better because Jake Vertanen is a better skater than Adam Gaudet. And right now, like, their shots are, I mean, it's, it's, it'd be hard to compare their shots, actually, because I think Gaudet does a great job from the left side. Um, I think Vertanen's shot has improved over the past couple of years, so his shot coming down the right side is a, a little bit different as well, but... Mm-hmm. It, it would take a lot for me to see Adam Gaudet be moved to the wing just because I really don't like the idea of going back to a bottom six with Sutter and Beagle. Um, I, I just, it's not something that you want to see. It's, it's something that's been talked about a lot. Harmon Dial's done great work on it of saying how mm-hmm. bad that bottom six was with those two guys centering it. It's, instead of having one black hole of offense, you're having two, right? When you put Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter as your centers. So I, I like the idea of having Adam Gaudet stick there. And I know we're going to talk about his contract in a little bit, but like Jake Bertanen right now is the 11th highest paid forward on the Vancouver Canucks. So if you look at, he's getting paid like a fourth line guy, technically out of these forward groups. I mean, mm-hmm. Sven Berchi's making almost a million more than him. Michael Furlan's making a million more than him. Tanner Pearson's making more than a million more than him. And even guys like Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel are making 500k more. So, like, Jake Vertanen is not being paid a lot of money, though he's going to be used in a top six position here pretty soon. And it's unfortunate that he can't have any success with Bo Horvat. But if there is success with with uh, JT Miller and Elias Pedersen, I think you should keep them there um, and at least try it to start the year. As long as he comes into camp in shape and... and after the past couple of years and signing this two-year deal, like I really feel like I, I just hope that something has clicked in Jake's mind where he has to come into camp here and be effective right off the bat instead of having to work his way up the lineup again. Yeah, some, something's got to change because, you know, we were both at training camp in July. It was not pretty. Like, people weren't exaggerating when they said Jake looked bad at camp. Like, it was well, not a it was not a pretty sight. Like, he, out of position, yeah. just, yeah, it was, it, was, it was tough to look at. He came into camp out of shape twice in one year. I mean, that's... <laughs> That's, that's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do, actually. It'll likely it never you. happen again. It's it's potentially something that won't happen, at least for a long time, for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's it was tough to see him in the third group. He was skating with ECHL players uh, in the training camp in Victoria. And then to see him just fall down the Canucks lineup and then finally out of the Canucks lineup as at training camp number two. I mean, like, he was given an opportunity to play and, and was there was players just winning jobs over him, right? So, yeah, it was tough to see, but I think that the the thing that makes the most sense for me is to to see him come into camp and skate alongside JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. I know that some people are going to hate to hear that, but um, I think that's how you get the most effective top six out of this group that you have right now with the Canucks. I think you're right. I, I don't disagree with you, but I would definitely like to see Adam Gaudet get a look there. I think he yeah. might fit that line very well. Yeah, I think maybe taking a look is good and... It's something that you could see with Adam Gaudet potentially, but like I said, I I just don't like, you know, half of your lines being centered by guys like Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter. But we'll see how they work through that. Well, um, that kind of that kind of segues us perfectly into the next piece of news: Jace Howerluck, Chris. What do you think if I tell you, okay, now the third line isn't centered by Brandon Sutter. It's centered by Jace Howerluck, who the Canucks signed to a very team friendly deal under nine hundred thousand dollars. They signed him to that deal. The guy can play wing. He can play center. And when you look at his profile, he has a very respectable bottom six profile when it comes to play driving. So what if I told you now, 
you have a third line because because let's remember here, Chris, with Adam Gaudet there, the third line isn't getting minutes, right? Like that third line was a black hole. They could not play that line in the playoffs. Like that's the fact here, right? Even with Tyler Toffoli on it, you know, he was hurt, but whatever. You know, the first line or sorry, the third line there with Adam Gaudet centering it, Travis Green just doesn't trust it. But now if that line is centered by Jace Howerluck, do you then feel comfortable with Adam Gaudet in the top, sorry, on the top line? Because, you know, I understand your concern about Sutter and Beagle. The Canucks have a lack of center depth. That's why we're in that position. But now they sign a guy named Jace Howerluck who can play the center position and he can do it well. So to me, like the way I kind of see the lineup shaking out is I, I have Howerluck penciled in into that third third line role as a center. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't think Howard Lux played very much center, uh, to be honest. I think he's more of a winger um, in the NHL, at least. I don't really know what he did at the AHL. Um, but I, I it never really even crossed my mind to have him play center for the Vancouver Canucks, to be honest. Really? Well, yeah, that's that's what he played the majority of last year, I think. I'm looking it up, but you keep talking. Yeah, I, I just I don't I think he's a winger. I don't think he does as much in the faceoff circle as you would expect. But um, like he's a guy that I guess would I I see him in the same kind of boat as Zach McEwen. Like I think Zach McEwen is as much of a center uh, as Jace Howerluck is. To be honest, I think McEwen's a guy who played center at times in the AHL, at times in in his CHL career as well. So I think that those two guys are going to be some guys maybe fighting over the fourth line uh, right wing role. To be honest, I just I don't think that Howerluck's I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, he does a great job of playing a two-way game. I've seen some of the advanced statistics on him. He does a good job of controlling puck possession for sure. Um, but I just – I don't see him sliding into playing center, to be honest, for the Vancouver Canucks, especially well, next season. With with guys like – like they have about six guys on the team, like on the active roster of the top 12 forwards who can play center. I just don't see him sliding in mm-hmm. there, to be honest. Okay, so I'm looking it up now. He's listed as a center on NHL.com and – hockey reference but i think he played more center in the ahl and junior than he did in the nhl because with florida through 42 games played he only took 19 face-offs but he had a 73.7 percent face-off percentage in those games so do with that what you will that was in 2018-19 and then last year through 11 games 50% 50% face-off. He only took only took eight face-offs. So yeah, I got it in front yeah, of me He doesn't too. play he's, too much center. He's taken 31 face-offs in 68 games. So I don't think he's played a lot of center. Um, but at the same time, you know, like maybe this is something that he could work on a little bit. Or maybe he did do it at the AHL level. I'll have to watch the uh, uh, Springfield Thunderbirds is where he played in the AHL. So I might have to look up some games to see if he was taking face-offs there. That's a beautiful team name. But on the topic of Howerluck, another place I could see him, right? Like when I think about the Canucks lineup here and how the makeup is, you know, we've we've talked about Horvat in that matchup role for most of last year. Does he fit better in the top six? I'm talking about Howerluck here. I'm not talking about Louis Erickson, who we've seen in the top six for so long. Howerluck's, you know, he can, he struggles. He's not a great skater. Like that's the book on Howerluck is he's not a great skater. But he can get under people's skin, man. And playing with Horvat and Pearson, I think that could be a line that the Canucks really take a long look at because, and and rightfully so, I think it is like that's a line that could could be good at five on five. You could play it basically any time. So I don't know. Like I, I'm really intrigued by Howerluck. I think that was a great signing by the Canucks, um, and I, I'm really really intrigued to see what he can do. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does too. I mean, like 
decent numbers and a little bit of a stretch with Ottawa last year. Seven points in 11 games, like not bad. I know he was moved up the lineup with Ottawa at least, but um, those are all even strength points as well. So that's good to see. I, I'm wondering if he kills penalties very much. That would be great to add uh, to the Canucks group anyways, especially if he's going to be playing on a fourth line. But the way that I've seen him play in the limited minutes that I have seen him play, I, I see a little bit. Um, of Tyler Mott and a little bit Antoine Roussel uh, in him, like a little bit of a mix of those two. And if he's able to bring that, you know, be a mouthy guy like he like he's said to be, um, and also be able to grind out and forecheck strong like a Tyler Mott, like I think there's a place for him uh, to at least battle with Zach McEwen for that kind of fourth line right wing spot because there there is a spot for a guy who can kill penalties, especially on this Canucks lineup where they don't have really anybody in the top six that kills penalties aside from um, Tanner Pearson at times, right? So I think mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. if you're going to be in the Canucks bottom six, you need to be able to bring something to a special teams unit. Um, otherwise, you're kind of not going to be playing a lot of ice time. So it'll be interesting to see with Howard Luck. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him in a Canucks jersey. He seemed like a good guy when we met him over the Zoom chats. Um, and from everything that we've heard, he seems to be a guy who gets under people's skin. So I'm excited to see that. He's a guy who likes to throw the body around. Like in those 11 games with Ottawa at the end of last year, uh, he had 33 hits, which was nice to see. I mean, that's three a game. That's that's pretty strong. So it'll be interesting to see what he's like in a Canucks jersey. Uh, and yeah, I think he's a guy who can really kind of fit into a, a 13th, 14th, 15th forward spot and at least create some competition for guys like Zach McHugh and, and you know, some other guys like maybe Cole Lynn takes a step and is fighting for a spot next year or some other guys like Justin Bailey or anybody really that's going to be battling for that kind of fourth line role. It's good to have a little bit of competition for there because then maybe one of them rises to the occasion and takes a step into being a top nine forward instead of just a fourth line guy. Maybe Howard Luck has that in him. I know I've seen a lot of people uh, writing about that he could potentially move up this lineup, so we'll have to see what happens. I, I have more trust in Howard Luck than I do in Louis Erickson, though. I'll say that. Yeah, that's kind of where my thinking of it comes in. Like On the offensive side, at least we know Howard Luck tries hard. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I'd like to see him in the top six. I don't know. I think that's something we could see. But again, like... It all goes back to this, like Adam Gaudet, man. I'd like to see him on that on the lotto line. Well, I guess not the lotto line if Gaudet's there, but you know what I mean. I'd like to see him on that line. I'd like to see him alongside Pedersen and, and Miller and just see what he could do because I think he has a lot of untapped offensive potential. I think you see it every time he's on the power play. The guy's got a great shot, a great release, and I'd really like to see him be in a chance, be in a scenario where he can flourish in that role. And, you know, I want to jog your memory a bit. There was a game there, I think either to Foley or no, sorry, it was Miller uh, was a very late addition to the game. And yeah. the Canucks had Gaudet out there taking line rushes with uh, Toffoli and Pedersen. And I don't know, like the fact that that was the first thing they thought of when when it was looking like Miller might not make it that like we were going to see Gaudet play wing in that game. So I don't know, like I, I've heard Travis talk about it. Travis has definitely talked about moving Gaudet to the wing and Gaudet's talked about playing the wing because he's done it a little bit in his NHL career. Uh, and, you know, Travis trusts him to play either side, right? The left or right wing. And I think that's very valuable. I don't know. I'd really like to see them do it because, again, like until he develops the defensive side of his game, which he hasn't yet, they're just not going to play that third line much. So you talk about two black holes with Sutter and Beagle. Well, OK, if you have that third line that just can't play, then their profile is not going to look horrible, but they're not able to play. So I don't know, like. I'm just trying to think outside the box when it comes to their lineup here. And one scenario I see crazy quads. Yeah. Okay. Last season, Adam Gaudet played four minutes and 27 seconds alongside Elias Pedersen. Yeah. Their shot attempts for, they had zero. 
Their shot attempts against, they had 10. And the shots on net that they had, obviously zero. And the shot attempts against, seven. So they have horrible numbers together uh, in the four minutes. Four that minutes. That, that was four minutes. Together. I'm just saying, you see a zero and 10 Corsi, you have to Man, say something. You gotta, you gotta look up who they were playing against. I know that's not pretty. I know that doesn't help my case much. But I'm telling you, I, I, think, it, I think he could flourish if he's given more of a shot. And I, I don't know. Like... Who who is their like, third winger on that line? It's was probably that just when, like three players that got stuck out there together. Yeah, know, exactly. Like exactly. So wasn't that when wasn't that those four minutes when Jake Vertanen was on the ice with them too? Oh man, that doesn't sound like uh, a good time for Elias Pettersson having gone. No, but I I have a I have a distinct memory of them getting hemmed in their own zone and Jake Vertanen was stuck out there and it was uh, Elias Pettersson. <laughs> yeah, there was one shift, four, one forty second shift with those three guys on the ice. Who is the, I got to find out who that third winger is because it wasn't Miller. They're not giving up ten shot attempts if Miller's on the ice with them. No, absolutely not. So yeah, I mean, like I, I am fine so, with like entertaining the idea of that, but I just I don't, I don't think it's it happens over Jake Vertanen right now. To be honest, I think there's some other players that might even be ahead of Adam Gaudet to move up in that line. Obviously, Brock Besser's an easy decision, um, and then from there it's like there there might even be some other guys like would Zach McEwen be given that chance potentially? Like you don't even know like. Travis Green has liked to move McEwen up in practice anyways, so uh, it would be interesting, and I, I I don't think it's a bad idea because, yeah, like, he's got great offensive instincts. Like, Adam Gaudet knows where to go to the net. We saw that game where he had two goals against, um, was it Colorado? I think he had the two-goal game, and yeah. both of those goals that he scored were him attacking the net and the puck just coming to him in the right spot. You don't get there without the right offensive awareness, so I think that that part fits it, and yeah, being a winger, he might even be a little bit better defensively than Jake Vertanen, so I don't hate the idea. I just don't know if we'll see it um, without some injuries or potentially some really bad play from Jake Vertanen early on. What about what about Jake Vertanen showing up out of shape to camp? We can't discount that possibility. We can't discount that. You're right. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's another chance, uh, another thing that might happen. So we'll have to see. But yeah, I I don't think I like it's an option for sure to see Adam Goddard play there. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I don't um, uh, I don't like your ten to oath stat. Your little analytics ruined the great game of baseball for me, and now they're doing it to hockey. So I'm totally hey, kidding. Speaking by the way. of Adam Goddard. What do you think about the number change to 96? Oh, man, I forgot about that. I was in my head. I was picturing him was wearing eight. But yeah, 96. I don't know. Second player in Canucks history to wear 96. The first was Pavel Bure. So I don't know. Move him to wing. He just all of a sudden starts playing like Bure. I think it's written in the stars. Okay. That's my hot take. Hot take. I think that I think he's doing a little nod to 69, but he just didn't want to wear 69. I'm 100% going to ask him about that the minute we're allowed back in locker rooms <laughs> and we can ask people stuff off off record. Yeah. 100% have to ask him that. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to see. That will be... I don't know if we'll get a good answer out of that, to be honest. But, yeah, I think that the Godet contract, like, if we haven't really talked about it, but, I mean, one-year contract under a million dollars. What do you think? Because, like, I, I, I'll give my take first and I'll get yours, but, like, I would have liked them to kind of bank on a similar deal that they gave Tyler Mott. Like, get him for two years at a little bit more money um, and see, like, if if he's able to actually perform as a third-line center and continue to improve defensively, like, then you're getting a guy, you're getting a lot of value from a guy making a low amount of money. But say he comes into this year and, you know, takes a big step, potentially scores 20 goals, you know, is better defensively in his zone, then he's getting a big pay raise next year. 
Um, maybe potentially somewhere like closer to Jake for Tandon money than Tyler Mont money. And I mean, with that, mm-hmm. you're already paying Elias Pedersen, Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes. Like you're going to have to pay all these guys a lot more money in 2021, 22. You don't really want to be paying Adam Gaudet, you know, somewhere close to $3 million if he's able to have a really good season here in this upcoming year. Yeah, looking at next year's cap, I think there's $20 million coming off the books, and they're going to have to put a lot of that into just Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. Now you add Thatcher Demko to that mix, and then you add Adam Gaudet. I don't know, man. It's it's going to be tough. Like Again, I think it's going to be hard for them next year to really like improve the guys around them that they don't have yet. So we'll see. Like They're going to have to move some money out, but they, they couldn't manage to do that this offseason. Maybe it'll be a little easier next year. We'll see what happens. But man, when I, when I look at what that Gaudet contract means... To me, it just looks like a contract that can really have a lot, a lot of value for the Canucks. And when we talk about value, right? Like we talk about output compared to what they're being paid. So the Ericsson deal is the other end of the spectrum of absolutely horrid value. And then the Elias Pettersson deal is the other side of that. A guy on an ELC making under a million dollars, giving you all the offense for your team. Like that's value right there. He, he was the most valuable player for the Canucks when you look at value from that perspective, right? So I look at the Gaudette contract and I see something similar. Like let's not forget, Chris, this guy had 33 points last year. Like that's, that's, decent output again playing pretty limited minutes he's playing sheltered minutes for sure but again like that's 33 points that's not easy to do so that's again why i'd like to see him maybe get a shot on the first line because again like you said he's more responsible than jake vertanen defensively i'd really like to see what he could do with elias Pettersson. Yeah, I, I think it's something that we could definitely see. And yeah, like eighth in scoring on the Vancouver Canucks, just three points behind Jake for 10 and in 10 less games. So um, yeah, like I, that's, that's the only thing. Like you mentioned the contract and how you like it. It could be worth a lot. It could be a, a nice value contract. It, it's too bad that they couldn't get like a three-year deal done, you know, at a little bit more money to me because I think that if you bet on a guy like this, and, and I've heard Drantz talk about this a lot on the VanCast actually, but like if you bet on him a little bit and he does surpass your expectations – then you're getting good value from a guy making potentially like if they were to sign him for three years at 1.5, I would have loved that deal. Like I would have loved that deal because you see what Adam Gaudet's already able to do as an NHL player. Like he'd be worth 1.5 million to me to think that he's only going to improve on what he's done so far. Like let's not mm-hmm. forget that this past year was like his first actual NHL season pretty much. Like he's 23 years old and he came out of being, I think he came out in his junior year. Uh, from Northeastern, so he wasn't like a four-year guy. I'll have to double-check that. But, um, yeah, like he's he's still very new to the NHL, and I think he's only going to improve, especially in his own zone. And out of the guys that are in the top 15 for scoring, he's the guy who played the least amount of minutes. So, I mean, like he is giving you production. Uh, he brings a lot to that second power play unit, and I I think I, I would have liked to see a three-year deal uh, for Godhead, but it's too bad. Um, you know, just the one-year deal. Let's hope that he just takes a step and then can earn that three-year deal next year. Yeah. By the absolutely. way, I love I love that he's wearing ninety six. Like I love that. Yeah, it, it'd almost be as good as Braden Holpe just dropping one from seventy and going to sixty nine. But he that ended up going with forty nine. And I don't know. People have probably heard this by now, but the reasoning, Brandy Holpe, his wife, put it on Twitter. Four is Braden's favorite number, and nine is her favorite number. So they just put it together and came up with forty nine. I'll be honest. 49 does not look right on any jersey. Like, I, 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 do, I can't even think of another player who wore 49 off the top of my head. 
in yeah. any sport. In any sport. I'm thinking like in baseball. I'm thinking everything. I can't think of anybody who wore 49. I feel like oh. did Aaron Volpatti wear it for the Canucks? No, didn't he wear f- Oh, no, he wore f- No, no, no. Aaron Volpatti wore something in the 50s. He wore okay, 54, maybe. didn't he? I feel he? like I feel like he was 49, but yeah, I could I'm probably wrong. Mark Trumbo is the guy who I'm thinking of. Do you know who that is? He was a uh, he was you would love Mark Trumbo. He, he was a, a uh, DH with the Orioles through yeah, most of the 2010s. I remember drafting him and playing video games because uh, he had good power, and I was into that. Volpatti did wear 54. I was right. 54. Boom. Okay. Knew it. Okay. Well, I mean, like, yeah, that, I'm sure that there's been somebody that's worn 49 for the <laughs> There has to be. There so. has to be. Okay. We need to we need to figure this out. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. Any sport. I'm thinking any sport. Number I can't think of any sport where anybody's worn 49. Uh, man, I would. There's got to be some like. I know a lot of fullbacks wear it. Um, Darren Archibald wore it for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, that's years. right. Oh my gosh, there was like three Canucks. I remember doing this article. There was like three Canucks that wore 49. Yeah, Darren I just Archibald's can't remember that, their names. But he didn't wear that. I don't think in Utica. I think he only wore that in the NHL. So hmm. that's one at least. There we go. Brian Savage. There's a name. He wore 49. <laughs> Good stuff. 359 okay. points. That's interesting. Wow. Wow, that's pretty good. Good for Brian Savage. All right, I think that's enough of us talking about jersey numbers and such. Let's throw it to a guy who also went to Northeastern University in Aiden McDonough. This conversation, Chris, I'm very excited to hear it. So on the other side of the break, you'll hear us talk about Ollie Olevi and some more stuff with the defense. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. New Mike's Hard Blue Freeze hits you with the nostalgia of a blue freezy with bold blue raspberry flavor and a refreshingly crisp finish. Mike's Hard Lemonade is a Canadian original made with natural flavors. Chris, this is one of the very few alcohols that I actually enjoy. And man, you got to be careful with these things because they go down like candy. They do. They are probably easier to take down than a freezy because those freezies, they kind of hurt your throat sometimes. You yep. know, the blue freezies. These ones don't. These are just absolutely delicious. Perfect summertime drink. And I'm wondering what they're going to be like in the winter, to be 100% honest. I mean, I had one two days ago. It was kind of cold. It was raining. It was just fine. That's good. Even when you're feeling a little blue, you could go for a blue freeze. Absolutely. And yeah, if you guys haven't tried it yet, go get yourself some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. And before we go any further, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast, Zephyr Epic, Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. We open a lot of hockey cards for them, and you can too. You can use promo code CanucksConvo for $5 off your order. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, so take advantage of that. Again, that is promo code CanucksConvo at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms, on Twitter, Instagram, and join them on Twitch every Thursday for weekly case break giveaways. Chris and I have a lot of fun doing these. You guys should check them out as well. We've been having a lot of luck. We opened a lot of Quinn Hughes cards, and now we're doing the DiPietro diving. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram opening hockey cards at random times. It's really hard to find out when we're going to do it because we don't really know when we're going to do it. But be on the lookout for that and make sure you go buy yourself some hockey cards, whatever cards you need from Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. All right, guys, joining us now, we have Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough, who's currently riding his bike. Uh, Aiden, how's that going so far? (laughs) 
Good. I got uh, I got my AirPods in, so I got two hands on the bike. Um, so it's good. I, uh, I live pretty far away from the rink, so it's a uh, good mode of transportation, I guess. Got the legs going before practice. <laughs> no doubt. Are you on your way to practice right now, then? No, just leaving the rink. Right yeah, on. We just finished up. We had a uh, practice in the lift, and now I'm heading back uh, to my dorm. Nice. I uh, I saw a video going around the internet uh, just the other day. I think of Wisconsin. I think they were rollerblading to practice. So are you kind of pulling something out of that trick, or is is this biking thing something you got to do regularly? Um. Yeah, I saw that too. I don't know. I know. I, um. We uh. Our dorm, my dorm last year was really close to the rink, so it was a, quite a five minute walk. But now it's more of like a fifteen minute walk. Um. And it was kind of having to go back and forth to the rink a few times during the day. So. I got a bike, a couple other guys got scooters, guys rollerblade, um, some guys walk, but I guess, uh, you know, kind of whatever, whatever you, fits you best, is, uh, get you there, so. Right on. Have you guys been able to do any other team activities? I mean, I saw that Wisconsin video, I thought that was pretty cool that they kind of did that and put that out on social media. Uh, yeah, we've done some stuff, but it's tough, um, you know, especially complying with, with, you know, the state guidelines and the school guidelines and um, everything like that. Um, we've been ever, we've got together a couple times for like team runs and team walks and, um, you know, some scavenger hunts around the city and things like that. But, you know, it's pretty tough to kind of do things, uh, as a whole team. We were supposed to go golfing one time and they got canceled last week because of the weather. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've, we've still been able to do some, a few things, but definitely a lot different than last year in terms of getting together uh, and doing team activities. So. Yeah, no doubt. And I guess it's kind of interesting, like you mentioned, it's a strange time to kind of come back as a team. Uh, how has it been like for you guys kind of adjusting to practicing and working together in a COVID world? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been really good just to get on the ice and be able to be together with all the guys. Um, you know, the first two weeks or so were tough because we, we couldn't do anything really. So we were stuck in our dorms pretty much for a week and then we were allowed to leave. But then we we still couldn't even have practice or workouts or anything like that. So that was, that was tough just to, you know, work hard all summer and spring and then to get to school and, and not be able to kind of, you know, show what you've done. So um, it's been really good. We've been practicing for um, probably maybe a little over a month. Uh, we, start, we started off in small groups without the coaches, without doing any battle drills, just having to stay six feet apart and doing a lot of skating and, and flow drills. And then uh, we, we've kind of gradually worked our way up to now we're a, a full team and we're allowed to do battle drills, but we still have to wear masks on the ice and I kind of stay distance uh, in lines and things like that. But it's good. You know, it's probably the biggest thing I miss is we're all in, we're in separate locker rooms. I think we have like six guys in the locker room, so we have like three separate ones. So that's, wow. that's tough. Not yeah. be able to, you know, hang on before and after practice in the locker room with the boys. But um, it's been good. And, yeah, like I said, lifts, we're lifting like four guys at a time, so. We have to space that out to, um, you know, kind of book all appointments and clean up our weights all the time and stuff like that. But, you know, honestly, no complaints. It's, it's really good just to get back and be able to get things going. No doubt. I was uh, speaking to a Canucks prospect uh, about a month ago or so, and he was kind of mentioning how everybody's been kind of just stuck inside and in the gyms nonstop. Uh, I'm wondering, are you noticing everybody else is a little bit yoked up this year? Like, is everyone just, uh, you know, put on a little bit of extra muscle throughout this quarantine workout? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Especially at the beginning, there wasn't much to do, so it was just a lot of curls and <laughs> and bicep curls and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, honestly, everyone looks really good in terms of you know conditioning and being in shape. And then you know, usually our, our preseason, I think last year was like three or four weeks long. So um, and now obviously this is, I think it's like twelve. Uh, if we're supposed to play around November twentieth, that's when we're hoping to play. So it's um, it's a lot longer. So our coaches have been really good about. You know, not killing us every single day, but we've uh, we've been getting after pretty good. So, um, you know, our conditioning level, I think, is really good. We've had a lot of time to work on systems and 
and things like that um, that usually don't have. It's kind of rushed before the game. So it's, it's been really good, I think, for the younger guys just to kind of get used to how things work. Um, but, you know, obviously uh, we're just all really itching to play, which hopefully we'll be able to do soon. No doubt. Are you uh, are you still one of those younger guys now, or now that you're a sophomore, are you taking more of a leader role now? Um, I mean, by age, I'm a bit older because we have a young team. We, I think we have 10 freshmen again. Wow. Um, and we had 11 freshmen last year, so pretty much our whole half – a little bit more than half our team is freshmen and sophomores. Um, but I just think I'm, I'm taking a bit more of a leadership role. We don't have a ton of upperclassmen. Um, and so I think all the, the sophomores kind of got tossed into being a leader pretty quickly just because of our numbers. Um, we have to be. And, um, you know, I think that's something that I've always tried to do a little bit and uh, try to help out the younger guys. But I think in terms of getting back into, into things, um, I would say we're all probably – kind of leading because our, our our class had a big role in our, in our team last year, and I think the freshman class this year will do the same. Um, so, yeah, I think we're all kind of taking a bit more of a leadership role for sure, but we still also lean on the seniors and juniors for, for stuff as well. Most definitely. And, and you had quite a few seniors move on and, and other players kind of move on, like, you know, Tyler Madden's a good example of a guy moving on to professional hockey. Uh, what's it kind of looking like for you guys? Because you know, I know you guys, you talked about it last time we spoke. It was a very young team with the 11 freshmen. Uh, you mentioned the 10 more freshmen coming in, like, it feels like, is this part of a rebuild year? Or are you guys still feeling pretty competitive? No, I don't think it's a rebuild year at all. I think we're, uh, I think we're still going to be really competitive. Um, you know, if you look at it, we only lost one defenseman, which was our captain, Ryan Shea, which was a big loss, but we return every other defenseman other than him. So our, our D core is just one year older, um, but the same, which is good. And then our forwards, we lost a lot of forwards up front, but we got a lot of really good freshmen coming in that I think will fit in right away with, with what we already have. And, um, you know, we're kind of mixing the lines around where it's, you know, younger guys and older guys mix. And I think by the time we come to playing games after a few games, I think, you know, they'll be, you know, more than, more than comfortable. And then goalie, we have, uh, you know, a lot of really good goalies, but the freshman definitely, if I just got picked by uh, Florida, he's looking really good too. So, I don't think this is the rebuild year. I think um, our goals are still the same to win the, the being pod hockey's and national championship. And, you know, I don't think we'll, we'll relinquish those at all. I think those are very attainable goals and stuff that we're still pushing towards. So, no, I think we're going to be very competitive this year and a different team than last year. Um, I think we're, we're faster, more skilled um, and a bit deeper up front. So, Good to hear. I was I I wanted to ask about the bean pot because it seems like you guys uh, everybody's probably gunning for you after the last few years. What's that going to be like for you? Kind of coming in as uh, I, I feel like you guys are coming in as the big dog in this tournament this year. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's a little different. I think we're uh, Northeastern. You know, typically the last you know probably ten years have always or more than that have been the underdogs. And um, but yeah, I think we're definitely the big dogs now. Um, you know, like I said, I have no clue what the bean pot's going to look like especially with Harvard, their uncertainty there with their season and, and, um, and even our seasons and stuff. I don't know, you know, what's going to even happen, but I definitely think that we, uh, we definitely the big dogs again. I think they're, every team is so good in the bean pot though. It's so hard to tell. You never know who's going to win every, any game. That's kind of the, the beauty of it is that it's so uncertain and exciting. So, um, but yeah, I think we definitely have some confidence and a lot of guys, our team who have, you know, won three bean pots, the seniors have won three, and then uh, from down from there, so I think the experience really helps. I gotta feel like it's a it's a cool spot for you because obviously you won the one last year that was their third consecutive one. You know, you go on to win four this year, maybe five next year. Like you start to sit yourself into quite the dynasty with uh, Northeastern there. Yeah, I mean that that would be awesome. Um, you know, it's definitely a, a huge thing that we all look forward to, and one of the reasons why you come to Northeastern. And um, 
you know, I, I think last year we didn't want to be the class to come in and, and kind of ruin the streak that they've been on. So I, that was good that, you know, it was, looking back, it wasn't on us, the freshman class that came in and that kind of ended it. So I think the class now will probably try to do the same thing. Absolutely, that's good. And and somewhere where you had a lot of success, aside from the bean pot, was on the power play last year. Uh, how's that looking so far in practice? Are you getting the same kind of spot and same kind of duties? Yeah, yeah, it's looking really good. Uh, a few mixes here and there, um, but everything's kind of always still in flux. The last year changed a little bit, but, um, you know, it's looking good. And I think looking to this year, try to do similar things, but maybe take on even a bigger role and, you know, have the puck a bit more on my stick and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love to shoot it. So anytime I can shoot the puck, I'll be doing that just as much, if not more than last year. So, um, that's a part of my game and a part of our team that we take a lot of pride in. Um, you know, statistically we've had a really good power play and, um, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to miss a beat this year with that either. Good to hear. And you kind of surprised a lot of people coming in as a freshman on the power play. Uh, do you got one freshman this year that's going to maybe surprise some people? Um... I mean, that's tough because I, I think all of our freshmen have pretty high expectations. You know, Sam Colangelo is a second-round pick, mm-hmm. um, and I think he'll live up to his, his name for sure. I don't think, um, you know, for him to do well, I don't think would be surprising because I think he is going to do well and he's a really good player. Um, Gunnar Fontaine is a guy that w- went late in the second round or seventh round, kind of like me, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's a really good player too. So I'll maybe go with him because I, uh, I, you know, I don't know if people look at his draft stock and all that stuff and – don't think he's going to do well, but I think he'll do really well, and I think he'll uh, his transition will be a lot quicker than people think. That's good. So you're still shooting from the right side, I guess. Is that still your spot then? Yep. Right on. Good to hear. That's obviously a spot where you had success last year. I'm wondering, like, how much do you? Because it seems like that's one of your strengths is your shot. You mentioned you love to shoot. We can see that uh, when we watch your game film for sure. Is that something that you kind of zone in on in the off season when you're trying to work on stuff? And I know last year you came in with the injury as well, right? So it must be nice to kind of come in fresh and healthy this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but first, yeah, I mean, I, I work on my shot almost every day. In the summer, I have a spot in my backyard with a net and some turf where I'm able to work on it. So it's something that I really take pride in. And, and I really don't even really see it as work. I, I kind of see that as fun yeah. in terms of just going out there. And usually i got a buddy of mine, or my neighbor who plays pro, will uh, go back there and put in some work. And, and even during practice, um, you know, after practice, before practice, things like that. But I think during practice, too, is – just kind of bearing down and try to bury every single chance, you know, especially in that, in that one time or spot or even anywhere, you know, if you, if you focus on scoring goals in practice, it's going to come in games. So I think that's something that I really try to focus on that I've, uh, you know, kind of learned from guys throughout my career and something that I really try to try to do no matter what drill, if it's a warm up drill or, you know, just a kind of a throwaway drill that, you know, you're focusing on scoring goals, but mm-hmm. it's probably one of the things I I've worked on leading up to college the most. And I think I still need to work. On, I still can work on it, but, there's other parts of my game, obviously, that, that I you know, am continuing to work on as well. But that's something that I've always kind of focused on. And I love doing that, so that's not really, like, work to me. Um, I'm sorry, what was the other question? Uh, yeah, I guess I was just kind of like, if, is that the thing that you kind of focus on, I guess, in the offseason? Like, obviously, I, I think the last time we spoke, you mentioned that you want to take a step in your all-around game. But, like, I feel yeah. like when you have a skill like you have with the shooting, like, you kind of want to make that as best as possible, right? Yeah, yeah. I work on all parts of my game. I think this summer I... I worked a lot on getting stronger, um, being heavier below the dots and also quicker and faster off the blocks. And just overall, I think I've done that. I feel really good so far um, throughout our camp. And, um, you know, I think I've definitely gained a step or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I feel really good about that. And I feel a lot stronger with the puck and, you know, warding off defenders and, and just kind of being more elusive and everything overall uh, with the puck. 
but yeah, like I said, I always work on shooting. So. <laughs> no doubt. And I think that's, that's interesting that you mentioned maybe gaining a step and feeling a little bit stronger because like, I can just imagine your confidence must just be through the roof after having such a good freshman start to the, your career, um, like going into your sophomore year, like you must feel pretty confident in your abilities to be able to put the puck in the net now. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, college hockey is really tough. So I, I think if I can increase my chances and opportunities to score and shoot the puck more and get to those positions and spots and, you know, with moving my feet and being faster and stronger will allow me to do that. So I think last year, um, you know, I just want, you know, I had a good shot, but you have to put yourself in those positions to do that, mm-hmm. to be able to shoot, you know? So I think now, um, you know, not playing in college hockey for a year and then being a bit stronger and faster that allow me to get to those spots that, you know, hopefully that will allow, lead to more, more goals. Absolutely. And something that we talked about last time was that, um, you were touted a little bit as Tyler, Ma- Tyler Madden's sidekick. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, it's something that you said that you wanted to have success with or without good players because you wanted to prove that you're a good player on your own. Um, how does your line kind of shape up right now, and who are you kind of gelling with right now in practice? We've honestly we've switched it up a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of, you know, we've kind of had a bunch of different looks over the last few weeks. So to be honest with you, I couldn't really tell you who I'm going to be playing with come the first game. But um, whoever that may be, uh, you know, I'm I'm fully devoted to you know to lifting that lineup and and doing my part in it. And and yeah, like I said, I think you know Tyler Madden is a great player, and um, you know I love really liked playing with him last year. But I think um, you know I, I just wanted to just get a little bit more respect in my own right and my own abilities and my own confidence, and that I, you know I'm a good player as well, and I can make those plays and create those chances and score those goals. And um, I definitely looked looked for that over the last last couple of months and going into the season is just to kind of be more. Um, more the guy on the line compared to, you know, it was more of like a secondary role behind him. So I think that's, I think it's more of a mentality yeah. in term, more than a skill set. So I think I've been trying to get that mentality um, and I, I hope to continue to do that. So I wonder when, when you look at it in like you were drafted in the seventh round, like the last round of the NHL draft, is that something that, you know, kind of feels like you put a chip on your shoulder? Like I, I know it's great to get drafted, but being like a late round, last round draft pick, like is that something that you want to prove people wrong that you know maybe you should have gone higher in the draft? Um, a little bit. I mean, to be honest with you, I honestly don't think about it yeah. much at all. Um, you know, I, I think I, I try to get better every day and, and show up to the rink with a smile on my face and work hard. And you know, obviously the the draft is what it is. But it, it, for a lot of guys, it's it's just uh, or for everybody, it's just a small one day that doesn't really mean a ton. It's kind of more what you do after that. And mm-hmm. so I think that's been one of my biggest goals is since the draft. After that, is to to prove that you know I, I belong there, and um, that if I would have went higher, who knows? You know, uh, who knows what turns out? Maybe I get you know a little complacent and um, you know not work as hard and, and put in the time. And so no, I, I don't. I don't think it, um, it it weighs in my my head too much, but I just think it's something that's um, that's helpful, I guess, to to help you keep on working. So, absolutely. Uh, do you want to answer some Twitter questions, Aiden? We got a few here. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, well, there's a few a bunch of comments about people becoming uh, northeastern fans simply because of what's happened with Adam Gaudet and now yourself playing there. Tyler Madden, of course, as well. Uh, what do you have to say to Vancouver fans that are becoming northeastern fans? That's that's awesome. Uh, you know, growing up in Boston, there wasn't a whole ton of Northeastern fans, so I think there's a lot more now. And to get fans from from all over the country and especially uh, up in Western Canada, that that's awesome. Uh, we pre- I, we all appreciate that because we we put in so much hard work. The coaches have and all the players before me, 
um, to put Northeastern on the map. So, you know, it really means a lot that we have people rooting for us now. Yeah, no doubt. I've seen some Adam Gaudette uh, Northeastern jerseys at Canucks games, so maybe we'll see some McDonough jerseys soon. And actually, I meant to ask something about that, too. You wear number 25. You wore it at the USHL as well. Um, what does the number 25 mean to you? Like, is there any meaning behind it, or you just kind of dig the number? Um, to be honest with you, my dad wore 10, and uh, Tony Amonti, my coach in high school, wore 10. And I kind of looked up to him a lot when I was younger because I knew the family. Mm-hmm. So I was 10 my whole career, and then um in middle school I was always wearing 10 and I, and I wasn't I wasn't really playing my best hockey and um things weren't looking too bright and then I went to high school and 10 was taken by a kid above me so I had to pick something else because I, I had to wear something different for the next uh four years I just picked 25 and um I loved it I know I, I didn't and I've kind of stuck with it luckily Cedar Rapids it opened up and then same thing at Northeastern it opened up perfectly both 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 teams so um no it's just you know not too much significance just uh you know a number that i picked early on and i've just kind of stuck with it now i guess it's a little bit superstitious now well it's worked for you so i'd probably stay with it if i were you (laughs) (laughs) and uh it it is open on the vancouver canucks right now i'll let you know that maybe a couple years down the road we'll see um but another question here um we kind of talked about this a little bit but what part of your game do you think will best translate to the professional level um I'd probably say hockey sense mm-hmm. um, and and shooting and scoring goals. But I think uh, the game is so fast now that you have to be able to play fast. And um, I don't think playing fast always necessarily means foot speed because you have to think the game fast, think the game, you know, smart and quick and, and make plays quick. Players in the NHL are so fast and strong. You have no time to make plays. And the puck has to be on and off your stick. Mm-hmm. You have to know what you're doing before you get the puck. So I think that's something that, I've always prided myself on it as being a smart player and being able to make those quick plays and, and little passes and, and getting open and finding scoring areas quickly and using my hockey sense that way. So I think that's a, a part of my game that's, um, you know, a little bit underrated. And I think that you have to have to play in the NHL. I mean, you can, you can skate as fast as you want or shoot the puck as hard as you want, but you have to be smart mm-hmm. and you have to be able to play with good players. So I think uh, that's probably the biggest part of my game. I think that will, will help me moving forward. Absolutely, that's good to hear. And this is kind of the opposite question, I guess. Um, if there's a specific game that you want to work on more um, to become more of a complete player, whether it be more dangerous offensively or defensively sound, uh, they ask. They love hearing players acknowledge some of the shortcomings that they've found. So, do you have any of those that you've kind of identified in the off season? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've been working on my whole life um, as a bigger guy. I know I've probably said it a million times, but. It's just to get faster um, and quicker off the blocks. And I don't think my skating as in itself is an issue. I think it would be more just getting faster, straightaway speed and, and quicker, um, first three, five steps, uh, that off the mark type of stuff. And, you know, you see the game, it just gets faster and faster every year. And, and guys can move and make plays at such a high pace. And, and so I think um, that's something that I think I've really worked on this summer and I think has come a long way since you know, the last few years. And I continue to work on it because I know that's my biggest biggest flaw he would say but um you know i'm not shy about talking about it because um i you know I, I don't think it it's going to make me you know i don't think i'm like an awful skater or, or slow you know I, I just think that's something i need to work on and um you know watching the nhl now it kind of makes you realize how fast those guys actually are so i think um if i can gain you know another step or you know every summer i just try to get faster every year try to get faster every day i'm working on my speed no matter what drill it is and i think that will help me, help me have the biggest success moving forward. Cause you know, if you can add, if you're a big guy and you can move really well and uh, you can shoot and, and make plays, you know, I think there's, you look at guys in the NHL now that are big and can move. There's not a ton. And if they do, they're, they're really successful. So. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, man. I completely agree with that. Um, another, another question. Did you follow much of the Canucks playoff run this season? Yeah, I did. I know um, the games were on pretty late for me. Right. Um, so I'd usually watch like the first period. Uh, and then I usually had to bed because it's, you know, the time difference was, it was tough, but I did, I followed it. Obviously I saw it on, on social media and, um, I watched all the games this, this summer, which was awesome, um, to watch while, you know, you're doing, going through your summer routine training and stuff to be able to go home after a long day and just sit down on the couch and watch NHL hockey all night. It felt like there was games going forever, which was awesome for any hockey fan. Um, but yeah, I know I did. I, I really did. I, um, you know, I really liked, you know, a lot of guys in the team. I mean, everyone, I thought they surprised a lot of people, but, um, you know, I thought they were rightfully so where they were. You know, mm-hmm. I even think they could have went, you know, a bit farther than they did just, you know, because how people like thought they were so, you know, they were so underrated and, and they proved a lot of people wrong, which I think uh, was a really good thing and a good thing to see for sure as a prospect. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, upward trend from here is what it feels like. Um, I guess this question's a little off hockey. I don't know if you are a fan of the UFC or not, but what do you feel about Khabib Nurmagomedov's retirement? um i actually prior to it's funny because prior to this week i had like or this last month i would say i had like no knowledge of the ufc i probably wouldn't (laughs) even know who khabib is but um i my roommates we've been kind of you know gone locked down a bit other than going to the rink so we've been uh, we've been watching the fights and i I watched that fight the other night um and i I don't know how retirement works for fighting but uh i mean i i think conor mcgregor has retired a bunch of times and came back so i don't know if he plans on coming back but He's an unbelievable fighter. Watching that guy in the ring is, is kind of scary, thinking that someone can do that and be that dominant in that sport. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I, mean, I guess I wish him all the best. But I don't follow UFC too much, but that's that's uh, it's pretty cool just to watch someone dominate the sport, no matter what sport it is. Uh, I'm a pretty big guy, but, like, seeing these guys that are, like, half the size of me throw that much power, like, at 140 pounds, like, it freaks the hell out of me that they can do I that. know, me too, because <laughs> I'm looking down at myself and my body, and I'm like, these guys are 140. 40, 150 pounds and you know I'm, I'm like 200 it's like geez that's uh it's scary but uh but yeah it's, it is fun to watch i just kind of got into it a little bit the last month or so but mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah it's definitely a lot of fun anyways uh we'll, we'll wrap it up with this final question here uh this one's from laura she's a super fan of the vancouver canucks uh what's one thing that you're most excited about playing in vancouver other than the fans um other than the fans playing in, I mean, just the city, it's, it's beautiful. I've only been out there once for development camp and, um, you know, it's on the ocean. I grew up on the ocean in, in Boston and, uh, it's a beautiful city and, and beautiful province in British Columbia. So, um, you know, I don't know if, you know, who, this next few years are so unknown, but if I ever get the opportunity to play in Vancouver, uh, that would be amazing just to play in the NHL. But, um, like I said, I, I don't really think about it too much. I'm kind of focused on what I got going on now and, if that ever comes, that'll be a dream come true. Um, but yeah, the city out there is beautiful and, um, you know, obviously the fans and, and the team would be awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. It'd be awesome to see you out here and you'll be trading uh, lobster for salmon, I guess, if you do have up making that switch here from the East to West. <laughs> I guess, I guess a lot healthier. So might as well. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I guess like, I just wanted to wrap up quickly. This question's for me. We're off of Twitter now. Um, but I guess like, what is, what does it look like for you guys over the next couple months here? You mentioned that you guys are going to get started in November um, with some preseason games, but like, when does the regular season kick off for you guys? I think the regular season is supposed to start around Thanksgiving. That's what we heard. Okay. Uh, we honestly don't know much. We're, yeah. we're kind of going day by day. We get the our schedule for the next day at the end of every day, pending on <laughs> COVID testing. So yeah. it's um, it's kind of been day by day here, and it's gone a little bit slow at the beginning. But 
We've been able to practice and get on the ice as a team, which has been really good. But um, in terms of the season, Hockey East hasn't even put, on it, put out anything, so we don't really know. Um, and I think it'll be tough for our coaches to tell us stuff. And if it not came true, they would kind of let us down. So they've kind of been telling us to just stay patient and um, just focus on getting better every day and, and working hard in practice. And um, But, yeah, I honestly I, I wish I could tell you an answer, but I, I really don't know. I, I sometime, hopefully around November, at the end of, end of November, it sounds like hopefully be able to play games just in conference games and well, I'm with no fans. So um, that's kind of what we hear now. And if there's, that's all I know as a player. So yeah, no, no, you must be itching just to get into some competition, though, right? Like practice is, is practice in the end, right? Like we're talking about practice here. Like you, you must want to get into a game pretty bad, eh? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all really itching. Um, I think even like we got to play like four and four the other day, like full ice, and we were like. You know, it was just so different because we used to just doing drills and mini games and battling and running up against each other. I mean, we we're starting to get sick of each other on the ice. Guys are starting to go at it a bit, which, which is good because we're all you know working so hard against each other. It's like it's good getting old battling and beating up your own teammates. I think we're uh, we're all just so itching to get on the ice and, and play a game and and test ourselves against other people. And um, and yeah, even like uh, I think we're supposed to have like a scrimmage this week at some point, five on five for the first time, which is like we're all like so jacked up for it because it's tough to. You know, right now we're practicing every day. It's like tough to get jazzed up for something. But um, if we could get a game soon, I mean, we've been itching. So that would be awesome. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, best of luck with that. We hope that you guys can get to some games pretty soon. Uh, best of luck with your studies as well. I know you probably got a busy course load right now, especially with everything online. Uh, and thanks for, for your, uh, making a first for me. The first time I've interviewed someone on a bike. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate Actually, I pulled off it now. So I'm not pedaling anymore. I'm back at the dorm. But uh but yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, school's going well. It's, you know, it's really different with being online. It's, um, you know, taking classes from your bed or in your pajamas every day. Um, <laughs> getting headaches looking at the computer screen all day. But um, it's been good. I mean, I can't complain. Everything uh, in terms of my studies have been good. Sophomore year is a bit tougher than freshman. So just got to keep plugging away with that. Um, but yeah, no, thanks. I always love coming on and talking to you. So I appreciate it very, very much. And a huge thank you to Aiden McDonough for joining us for episode 113 of the Canucks conversation. And again, a huge thank you to our sponsors as always. Chris, on the second half of the show, I want to talk about defense a little bit because I sent a take to you and I'm still working on the article. I'm still trying to piece my thoughts together because everybody I've brought this up to has shot me down very hard. But I see a scenario, Mr. Faber, where Ollie Levy ends up in the Canucks top four. And I know you think I'm crazy, but I see a scenario. Obviously, there's the injury scenario. That's the obvious one, right? Like if Alex Edler or Quinn Hughes knock on wood goes down with an injury, Olyolevi's the first guy up, right? Like, he has to be. He plays that defensive game. They would want him in the top four. My thinking is that if Brogan Rafferty and Olyolevi both have stellar camps, like, and I'm, I'm putting this together because Olyolevi had a good camp in July. The Canucks are working very closely with him. They want him to succeed. He wants to succeed. And if you think about it, this is the longest stretch of time where he has been healthy and doesn't have to be at some international tournament, doesn't have to be uh, in Finland playing in a league. Like He is at home working out right now, and he's only getting stronger, right? He has access to ice as far as I know. This is the longest stretch of time that Ollie Levy has had to work on his game. He's now played an NHL game, six minutes, I know, in a sheltered role. 
but he knows what he has to work on. So I see a scenario, Chris, where Ollie Olevi comes in and has a great camp. And at the same time, Brogan Rafferty, a guy we've talked to, who is doing much of the same thing, working out, working very hard right now. And he said, if he doesn't make the team, you know, it's a failure for him. So if both of these guys come in and have undeniable camps, I'm talking Adam Gaudet deniable, like where Adam Gaudet came in last year or yeah, and they wanted to send him down, but they couldn't because he was just so good. I'm talking about that. Like they come in and they are simply undeniable about how good they are. You are not going to see a third pairing of Ollie Olevi and Brogan Rafferty. No chance. We talked about this with Harmon. There's no chance that's going to happen. So that's the scenario where I see Ollie Olevi working his way into the top four is by just having an absolutely stellar camp and Rafferty doing the same. Okay, so give me your pairings then. Okay, so I talked about this with Harmon a bit actually because you're going to get your beloved Hugh Schmidt pairing because... Yolevi's going to be playing shutdown minutes. Like there is no way that they would put Yolevi with uh, with Hughes or with Schmidt. It's just not going to happen. You put him with Myers, who can play that shutdown role and also can move the puck just like Yolevi can. That's who you want him with. So stylistically, the best partner for him is Schmidt. But what's actually going to happen because of the makeup of the Canucks defense is it would have to be Myers. That's his partner. So you'd get your Hugh Schmidt pairing that Harmon and I both shot down when you brought it up on the show, you'd finally get your pairing, but it would be Yolevi and Myers uh, as the second pairing. And then Hughes and Schmidt as the first pairing. And then Edler Rafferty as the third pairing. Now let me break this down for you because this is where Harmon and I disagreed quite a bit. This is where it ha- this is what has to happen. Instead of having, you know, the the current makeup, right? And last year this is what we saw. The top 4, the first two lines played about um let's just tab it at like 40% each and then the third pairing played 20% of the minutes, okay? So stay with me here. Now the first pairing is still going to play that 40% or say even, yeah, 40%. They're going to play 40% of the minutes, okay? But now the second and third pairing are going to kind of balance out those minutes. It's not going to be you're relying on uh, four guys to play 25 minutes a night. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be the first two guys, so Hughes and Schmidt, excuse me, are going to be playing the most as they should be. So that's what that accomplishes. And then you have the Yolevi and Myers pairing that can play those shutdown minutes. And then you have Edler and Rafferty. You can do more or less the same. Okay. <laughs> when you when you go back and listen to this podcast, listen to this past four minutes and understand how much of a reach this take is. That, like <laughs> this, this is such a reach to try and say that only Yolevi is going to hop into the top four because... I think that the like only Levy is not really ready to defend as a top four yet in the NHL. I think of how much time like I just I think of some of the best players coming down the wing on Levy, and I get worried. I, I would be very worried right now thinking about some of the best players in the West or the best teams in Canada coming down on the wing on Yoli Levy and being able to skate right around him because AHL players were doing it last year. Okay, um, but people if, were doing that to Tyler Myers too. So Oh, perfect. So yeah, put them together on a pairing. Yeah, well, okay, no. okay. Well, my they were doing it to Edler too. They're it, like, wake up, man! This happens to every Canucks defender <laughs> except for Hughes. Right, but were AHL players doing it to them like last year? And now you're just say that you want them to hop into the NHL and do it now in a top four? No, but I they think could. You, I think I, you I'm need fully to see confident a lot. that AHL players could have 
busted down the wing past Myers and Edler. I'm fully confident in that. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. But like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'll extend an olive branch. I get what you're saying. I totally get it. Like the the whole the whole basis of this take is banking off Olio Levy being at a level we just haven't seen before. Like working so hard this offseason and having a full offseason that really benefits him. That's what this whole take is banking on. It's a massive if. Like yeah, and now you're throwing yeah, in Rafferty is. too. Like I'm saying this this can only happen if Yolevi and Rafferty both have huge camps, which is a massive if. So I'm not trying to come out here and say all Yolevi needs to be in the top four. Travis Green needs to put him in the top four. He deserves this. I'm saying if these guys both have huge camps, Yolevi's in the top four for sure, because there's no way that there's going to be a third pairing of both of these guys. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see Travis Green doing it. I, I just think it's like, I don't know. This well, is, well, hold on. It's what do you really, see really hard for me. Like, it's really hard for me to not only see Levy and Rafferty make the team together, but I feel like if they were to both have really good camps, they wouldn't be having good enough camps to put one of them in the top four. I think that if they have good enough camps and really impress, the only thing was like those two didn't play together. Like, at like they barely exactly. played together in the exactly. AHL. So it would be hard so to see So they've got to be separated. Right, but like one of them doesn't have to be in the top four either though. Like I would rather have them play together in a third pairing. And I think if you also, if you have your levy up there too, and Rafferty in the lineup, you're looking at having to have uh, Nate Schmidt kill penalties. Cause he's going to be the fourth. They're not going to play Rafferty or Quinn Hughes to kill penalties. That's why I find it very, very hard um, with the penalty killing specifically. Like I find it so damn hard to believe that Yolevi and Rafferty are able to come into camp and both be excellent. And if they both are very, very good, then one of them's going to be the seventh guy who's going to be able to rotate with the other one or with Jordy Benz eventually. I just Fair. don't see and- them like being able to get into the rotation for a top four. I just, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I see where you're coming from. It's just I've also seen a lot of Yolevi defending, and I just haven't been able to see him stay healthy long enough. Totally. Like, yeah, he's probably going to come into camp and have a pretty good camp. Like, I feel like he's going to be just as good as we saw at training camp number two. But the thing for me is, is he able to go into the NHL competition and play 20 games and stay healthy in those first 20 games? I just, I haven't seen him be able to do that at any professional league. Like 20 consistent games where he's 100% healthy just has not happened in the young man's career. So unfortunately, like he needs to prove that to me before I can actually start to believe that there's any chance of him ever being a top four defenseman in the NHL. That's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you're right. You're right. The guy got turnstiled a lot in the AHL. I've seen the clips. You've sent them all to me. I I get it. Like I, I get it again. Like this this whole take is banking off him finally being healthy. You know and, what's a better take? S- yes, switching what? switching his switching Olia Levy for Jack Rathbone. Like it's a better take to say Jack Rathbone has an amazing camp and goes into the top four because you just haven't seen Jack Rathbone play against professional That's players and defend yep. against them. But you've seen Yo Levy fail against them. Like you haven't seen Rathbone mm. fail against them yet, right? But maybe he's able to defend against them. Maybe he's had a really good off season of working out. Maybe he's, you know, groomed himself into being in professionally ready to play in the NHL. When you just you haven't been able to see Yo Levy do that, who's an older guy who's been in in professional leagues in the AHL and has failed a lot in the AHL when defending. I think it's a hotter, not even a hotter take. I think it's a better take to say that Rathbone and you and Rafferty make this team out of camp, and Rathbone would be in the top four over Yolevi. Wow, people just just heard it live where the light bulb went off in my head that I can literally just add to the title of the article. I can just add 
how Ollie Levy or Jack Rathbone can make the top four. Because that's you you're go. right. Like he, and that's what I mentioned in the article is like he's a wild card in all of this, right? Like you know we've we want to say we know a lot about how he plays, but a lot of it's secondhand knowledge just from you know Drance is really high on him. Everybody knows that. Like Drance has said, he thinks he can be a top four defenseman, and yeah, like I I think one day he could. He has the top four upside. That's undeniable. But you know I just. Again, like we haven't seen this guy at camp. We haven't seen him. Like I, you've seen more Harvard games than I have. I just, I don't know. Like I've seen Yolevi with my own eyes, and I'm confident that Yolevi can be an NHL defenseman, bottom pairing for sure. Like I, I think Ali Yolevi has a place on the bottom pairing this year, absolutely. But Rathbone again, like he's a wild card in all of this because you know he can move the puck so well, and that's something Yolevi can't really do. Like Yolevi can't really skate the puck out of the zone but he can really break the puck out of the zone like exceptionally well. And I think that'll help and, the Canucks in transition. But And you know, you know what? I think looking at the past two years, like Yulevi's what, one year older, right? Yulevi's one year older than Rathbone, I think. He was taken in the draft before yep. him at least. Yep. Yep. I think what you've seen from Yulevi over the past two seasons is just him trying to stay healthy and you haven't seen a lot of improvement, right? Like you you still see him make a good pass every once in a while, normally every game. Like he makes great passes in the AHL. He made great passes in camp when he's given time. But you've seen, like, really, really good improvement from 2017 all the way up to 2019 and, you know, a little bit that we maybe saw at the end of 2020. But you saw massive improvements in Rathbone's game. If he's, like, able to continue on that de- that development path, mm-hmm. like, you would just expect him to even take another step as he jumps into professional hockey. And obviously, making the jump from NCAA to professional hockey is incredibly hard. But we do see the top-tier guys at the NCAA have success when they immediately come in. He was over a point per game at Harvard last year. Like, he he was definitely better this past season than he was there before, just looking at the production and seeing how he was able to make so many breakout passes and see some of these guys, like mm-hmm. like Daniel G is a great follow on, on Twitter for this, like just breaking down and giving so much film of these guys, not only the goals that they're scoring, but other plays that they're making that maybe don't result in goals like you learn a lot from actually watching those parts of the player play and I think that if you can continue on a development path that is climbing so steeply like it is with Rathbone I would bank on him like but that's the only problem so like to to counterpoint my own point is Rathbone's not going to kill penalties I don't think at the NHL level neither is Brogan Rafferty and you don't want Quinn Hughes killing penalties because you don't want him in front of that many shots so if but you all know who three will? of those guys make the roster, you know, you're you're in a little bit of trouble on wondering who's going to kill penalties. And yeah, I know who will, Olya Levy, because that's where he's going to be the best at the NHL level, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Olya Levy, that's the guy. That's the guy. But that's no, guy. I, I think you, you have a really good point there. Like, you have a really, really good point about Rothbone being a potential, you know, wild card to make the top four. Because... If his upside is that he can be a top four defenseman, like, yeah, why not? The only problem is... What's your shutdown pair, right? Because with Yolevi in the top four, you've got Yolevi Myers as your shutdown pair, but Rathbone's not going to be trusted to play shutdown minutes. And like I said, there's no way that Green's going to pump out a third pairing with two rookies. Like, it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Especially yep. if he's a choice with Jordy Ben, man. I don't know. Like, like the more I, the more I think about it, like, yeah, it'd be great if Rathbone could really just come into his own, come into camp and be great. Like, you know, stranger things have happened. Quinn Hughes earned the trust of green to play defensive minutes, like right out of camp. Like it, it, it was right away. He knew right away that he could trust the kid. I don't know if that same thing's going to happen with Rathbone. So if you want to put him in the top four, like what are your pairings? Cause again, like you don't really have that shutdown pair. 
Yeah, I still like the if I were to give my pairings for opening night, it well like I I think Rafferty makes it with Jordy Ben on the third pair. Um, mm-hmm. that's what I think it looks like. I don't think Rathbone or Yulevi makes the opening night roster, though I would love to see them. And you mentioned they're both wild cards. That's how I look at them. Uh, mm-hmm. if they are excellent in camp and Rathbone continues development in the offseason, then yeah, hell yeah, he makes this team, um, over a guy like Rafferty. And then you move Jordy Ben to the right side. But I see Jordy Ben on the Canucks opening night roster just because of what he can bring on a penalty kill. Um, uh, and I guess a little bit of more, uh, I guess like, consistency as an NHL pro. Like I really think that Travis green takes a lot into that. Um, and I think, yeah, it's going to be like, you need a penalty killer out of one of those guys. If both, if two of these young guys in Rafferty, Rathbone or Yulevi going to make it like Yulevi has to be one of them. It can't be Rathbone and Rafferty. Unfortunately, um, it's going to have to be Yulevi and Rafferty. If you're going to have two of these young guys steal a job at camp, otherwise you're going to have to have Jordy Ben as one of them just because of the penalty killing, that you're going to need to get. And even with Yolevi, it's, it's worried. Like I, I remember asking Yolevi about this at the second training camp. Like what did he think about, and did he talk to the coaches at all about if the penalty killing at the NHL level is something that was going to happen in the future? And he said that he, he thought that that was something that they would be looking at. He knows that they were looking at his penalty killing tape. And he said he improved a lot this year, and he did. Like, he blocked a hell of a lot of shots. He did a really good job on the penalty kill this year. He was the best penalty killing defenseman for the Comets, I think. And, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, this is funny. Like, we can have this con- We have this conversation, it feels like, every two weeks about this pair. Because, like, it's going to be the fun thing at <laughs> camp to to just see what Rathbone, Yolevi, and Rafferty compete like. And even how Jordy Ben looks, right? Like, if he doesn't look good, then maybe it is kind of one of these young, or two of these young guys that jumps in the lineup. So, I'm excited to see what happens with it for sure. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think that's enough defense talk for the week. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I, I I really think that Yulevi could surprise a lot of people. I'm really excited to get my first look at Jack Rathbone, my first real look. And again, Rafferty, friend of the show. You just you wish him all the best. Like I I really hope he could come in and earn a spot because again, like we've talked about it so many times, that July camp was not pretty for him. Yeah, no, it wasn't. So I think we'll. We'll have to see. Like I, I'm, I still have very high hopes on Brogan Rafferty. I think watching what he did at the HL level, he was better than every defenseman that I saw. Not only on the Comets, but a lot of the times in the game. Like he controlled the puck and moved it so well that if he does that at such a high level at the AHL, I think that there's a spot for him in the NHL. That's why I'm the highest on him because I've seen him do it at a very high level in the AHL, which is potentially you know the third best league in the world. Um, and he's done it at a very high level at that, uh, in that league. So I think that he's the front runner out of those three to make the team. I've been saying that for a long time. I think it's him and Ben uh, on the opening roster, but I, I'm ready to be surprised. And I think the guy who has the potential to surprise me the most is Rathbone. So, um, yeah, Rathbone would, uh, I'm excited to see what he does, man. I'm excited to see what he could do in the future here. And just before we wrap up here, you want to give your prospect report. Am I right about that? Man, I don't know if I want to give a prospects report this week. There's been so much crap to. going on. I know. So, okay, I'll start with the good. Um, Niels Huglander scored his first goal of the year. That was awesome uh, on a penalty shot uh, that he drew the penalty. And in the SHL, you get to choose which player takes it. Uh, I guess he went over to the coach. Like I, somebody translated the interview with me. Um, and they said in the interview that, that Huglander went over and told him, like, I'm going to go score, like, give me the chance to do it. And then the coach gave him the opportunity. Uh, then he went in and he didn't do one of his fancy tricky moves. I was expecting something wild. Cause like, we've seen him go through his legs. We've seen him pick up the puck and try and like 
lacrosse it into the net, even when he's in front of the net, not just behind the net. Like, we've seen him try some crazy things. I was not sure if we were going to get that. He kept it simple. Wrist shot scored. First goal of the year. Good for him. Get on the board. Um, so that's the positives. Actually, there's some more. Dimitris Lodiev has looked excellent again. Like, I'm I'm loving every viewing I get of this kid. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. I recently came across a bunch of Victor Person tape. I wrote an article about it on Canucks Army. If you guys want to check it out, include some video in there. Um, really like what this kid's going to do, and I'm super excited that he's coming over to the WHL. And the fact that he's in the BC division, he's going to be all around uh, Vancouver and BC when he's playing. So potentially at the LEC like six times this year playing the Giants, which would be awesome to get out to those games. Um, even on the island, he'll be in Victoria as well. So that's cool. Um, all right, let's get to the bad. Uh, the silly pod calls in. He got moved down to the VHL. He got moved up to the KHL as the 13th forward. He's being thrown around this league, like not really getting regular time. He had a point. He had a primary assist in the VHL game that he played in. Right now, like I don't. If he's going to be used as a 13th forward and just not playing in the KHL, I think the best spot for him might actually be the VHL. Like straight up, he's going to play. He's going to score. He's going to be able to work on his shot, work on getting angles, and maybe he needs a little bit more time to do that before moving into the KHL for the remainder of the season. But I still think he's an impact player in the KHL. They're just not using him. Like, they're not using him in the right spots. Valerie Bragan, uh, the head coach over there, I think he's on the hot seat. Today, they just lost to the worst team in the East, the Kunlun Red Stars, I believe they're called. They have, like, a 4-18 and record, or 4-14 and <laughs> record in 18 games. They, like, outscored by, like, 20-plus goals in those 18 games. They're a bad, bad Bad team and SKA Ska lost to them today, two uh, one. No offense at all from them, so it was a tough look. And I wonder what they're going to do with uh, Valerie Bragan. Like this is a very this is the biggest low point of the year uh, for Ska for sure, losing to the Kunlin Red Stars out of China. Um, so I think that yeah, it's 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 a tough spot for them. I, I wonder if especially after that, like I feel like they're going to give a little bit of a run to Pod Colson now. Like he. Came and played in the third period. He looked good. He was controlling pucks, making good passes, being super aggressive and physical. Um, because it was almost like he was shot out of a cannon in the third period, right? I mean, he didn't skate at all in the first 40 minutes. He didn't get one shift. Um, so he came out in the third period, looked excellent. And when you get your ass kicked like that by like, such a crappy team in the KHL, uh, the coach needs to give his head a shake and start making some better moves and use Vasily Pod Colson. So I don't expect him to get sent down to the VHL again very soon, even though he's heading off to a tournament in Finland. Um, I believe next weekend. So he'll be in that tournament next weekend. There's got to be some more KHL games this weekend. So we'll have to see what they do with Pod Colson, where they use in the lineup. But I don't expect him to be in the press box or as a 13th forward anymore because they took an ass kicking from a horrible hockey team and they don't, uh, they need to make a change after that. So I think it's going to start with the lineup and maybe after that it'll be the coach. So hopefully, uh, Pod Colson gets some more time, um, in the KHL because, yeah, I think he might have some success. He just got to, Got to finish, man. That's the problem. He just can't really finish goals right now, and that's something that he needs to work on, um, and maybe just a little bit of puck luck coming his way. We see slumps with players all the time, so I'm not worried about him at all, but um, it would be good to see him put some goals up in the KHL for sure. Hashtag fire bragging. Yep. Try to get that trending, going today. Trending in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Maybe, maybe in White Rock. Just me <laughs> tweeting about it so much. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, if you don't have anything else to add, Chris, that was a great prospect report. Hopefully everybody can turn it around because I, man, like just following kind of from a distance, like I've only watched a few Pud Colson games, man, it's just, you really want to see him succeed. You really want to see him be put in a better 
better position to succeed in. I don't know. Like personally, I thought the VHL was going to be good for him. I thought that was great that he was down there. Just let him get that conditioning in, even if it's just for that. Like let him play, right? Like just get yeah. some minutes in. So I don't know. Like, and I also am wondering why you call him back up to the KHL if you're not even going to play him. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's not a great look at all. And I think that. Um it, it's such a, it's so hard to understand what the hell's going on over in these Russian leagues. Like, I don't know. He's 19 years old. Like people forget that he's not 22, 23. He's 19 years old and it's tough to see. So I hope that uh, things start to turn around a little bit. We're going to see him probably tear up this tournament in Finland and definitely tear up the world juniors. So people can start to see some goals then. Yep, absolutely. Well, if you don't have anything else to add, we're going to wrap One it more up thing. here. Of course. Okay. So Elias Patterson went on spitting chicklets on Wednesday. I sent okay. out a tweet. I sent out a tweet. We tagged him in the tweet. We want to get Elias <laughs> Patterson on the show. We do. If you see that tweet, head over to Canucks Combo. Give it a like. Give it a retweet. We don't ask for much, but I'm going to ask for you to get this. Let's get Petey to see this tweet. We would like to have Petey on the show. I think that'd be a really fun interview. I think we'd, I'd, we'd be great I with still him. have not done episode 40. I skipped episode 40 of this show. There is no episode 40 of Canucks Combo. You can't find it anywhere. So we have saved episode 40 for Elias Pettersson. Whenever he yeah. comes on the show, episode 40 will be released. So, I don't know. <laughs> tag him. Tag Elias Pettersson. Like the tweet. Retweet it. That's all I ask. It's on the Canucks Combo uh, Twitter account. I mean, it's going to happen. Like, it's it's, it's going to happen. There's no way it doesn't happen at this point. Like, it's going to happen one day. It's just a matter yeah. of when. And we'd like that to be sooner rather than later. So... If you guys yeah. want to uh, go round up a few of your friends, go find our tweet. It's on the Cox Convo podcast account. Wow, it's already up to 112 likes. That's pretty funny. Yeah, number one in Chile, baby. Hashtag big, big in Chile. Yep, big in Chile. All right, I think that wraps, just about wraps it up. Thank you to our sponsors, Zephyr Epic and Neutral Vodka Soda. This has been episode 113. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Canucks Conversation. Hello, thank you for calling Thomas Drance. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.